doing this morning? Good? Well, first of all, before we even get into anything that I have um, to share with you guys this morning, I just want to say um, I appreciate our units campus last week, and I said the same thing, but the only reason that I'm able to stand on this stage is not because I'm just that good, okay? Um, but it's just really one because of what God's been able to do in my life, but also because this pulpit and this stage has been faithfully preached. My dad has faithfully preached the Word of God. And, um, and honestly, I'm just a product of other men and my father just investing into me, loving me, taking the time to whip me and spank me and correct me. Um, as a young man, the, the hardest thing that you face sometimes is to think that you've got it all together. And uh, honestly, I'm just thankful for my father and my mom who love me enough to tell me the truth and that I have people in my life that love me enough to tell me the truth. Because honestly, it, it's, it's, it's hard to hear the truth sometimes, but in the end, it really does shape you and hold you. So um, before we get into anything, let's just go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for who you are this morning. God, we pray that you would have your way. God, that you would speak. And God, that your Holy Spirit would lead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, if you have a Bible, um, you can turn to Ephesians 1. We're going to camp out there pretty much the entire time. Uh, but I want to uh, read to you guys. You don't have to turn uh, there. It will be on the screen. A quick verse in Ecclesiastes 3.11. And it says this. God has put eternity into the hearts of man so that we might seek him. So what that verse means is when you were in your mother's womb and God was putting you together, that he put eternity into your soul. He made you to last and to live forever. Now, if you've ever heard the saying, how many of you have ever heard the saying before, there's only a hole in your heart that God can feel? Or maybe you've heard preachers say it before, well, you know, the reason that you're not satisfied is because you have an emptiness in your heart and you're filling it with things of the world. Um, if you hear that saying, it comes from Ecclesiastes 3.11, which says, God has put eternity into the hearts of man so that we might seek him. That when we were in our mother's womb, that he formed us and fashioned us and put us with an eternal perspective. So what that means is this. Um, I want to give you a few examples of how history um, kind of plays out a little bit. That Eternally, that gap that we have in our heart can only be filled with Christ. And you see all throughout history that men and women have tried to fill it with other things. And each and every time it has failed. So I just want to give you a few illustrations. Um, the first one is this. How attractive is Marilyn Monroe? How attractive is Marilyn Monroe? The truth is, she's not that attractive because she's dead. She's dead. So... Beauty does not span the gap of eternity. Beauty does not span the gap of eternity. How powerful is Adolf Hitler? You get where I'm going here? He's not that powerful. Why? Because he's dead. So power does not span the gap of eternity. How good of a home run hitter is Babe Ruth? He, he's not that good. Why? Because he's, he's dead. So all your athleticism and your giftings and your ability does not span the gap of eternity. How smart is Albert Einstein? He's not that smart. He's dead. I don't know if you guys know this about Albert Einstein, but they have his brain sitting in a jar at Harvard. For what reason? I have no idea. 
but your brain and your knowledge and your power does not span the gap of eternity. How cute is Justin Bieber? He's not dead, but he's not that cute either. <laughs> so even cuteness does not span the gap of eternity. There is nothing in this world that will bring you everlasting fulfillment except for Christ. Nothing. You can try to find it in money. You can try to find it in success. You can try to find it in a job. You can even try to find it in a husband or a wife, and you will be left wanting. You will not find it. There is absolutely nothing that will forever soothe the human soul that is here on this earth. Because eternity exists, it means that we are going to face crisis. Because we are eternal beings, it means that one day when you wake up, maybe tomorrow or a week from now, you're going to face a problem. You're going to come across something and you don't know what to do. And right at that moment, you're faced with a decision because there's something empty inside of you. What are you going to fill it with? You know, for instance, um, when maybe you feel lonely or you don't know what to do, you turn to something, so maybe you eat. So instead of going to God and saying, God, what do I do in this situation? I'm laying this before you. What do I do? We turn to something comfortable. So my question to you this morning is this. What happens when you wake up in the middle of the night and you start thinking about your life and that eternal gap inside of you begins to cause this friction inside of you? You look at your life and you realize that one day you're going to come face to face with death. And if you're not fulfilled and if you're not satisfied, that truly begins to wear on you. Because you begin to exhaust yourself trying to fill your life with things that don't really matter at all. And so I have three things we do when our eternity is not filled. Three things that we do. And the first one, let me be honest with you, it's a little bit drastic and it's probably not the case for everyone. But it is the truth and it has happened. The first thing that we do when our eternity is not filled is people take their lives. People take their life. Why? Because that eternity begins to weigh on their soul. They begin to truly become dissatisfied with where they're at. And it becomes so weighty and so heavy that they can't carry it anymore. And they don't know what else to do. So they think that it's easier just to end it. Number two is what I want to spend a little bit of time on. And I think as Americans that we, especially in America, that this is something that we focus on a lot. Three things we do when our eternity is not filled. Number two, we frantically busy ourselves with stuff so we don't have to think about the matters of our heart. We busy ourselves with things. We frantically play. We watch TV. We get involved in a thousand different things, always engaging the mind but never thinking inward, always making sure our minds are so busy so we don't have to recognize the state of our So the reason, what, what do we do? Have you ever noticed, and this is just one thing, being a youth pastor, I, the, the craziest thing that I've noticed is that teenagers in America are just so busy. But they're busy with stuff that doesn't matter. And it's not like they're busy because, you know, 
you know, they're providing for their family, and they're, you know, working a job and saying, hey, dad, listen, I know you and mom are, you know, struggling right now. I figured I'd uh, help out with rent. They're not busy like that, okay? They're busy because they got an Instagram, what's going on in their life, or they got a Facebook, or they got a text so-and-so. Like, teenagers, I don't know what it is about texting, but they, they got it down. They can text faster than most of us can speak. Teenagers are busy, and even adults. Some men, I know, they get home and you've worked hard. And, and I'm not saying that God hasn't called you to work hard. God wants us to work hard and fight and to provide for our families. But it's like we come home and we still feel that we have to busy ourselves. That, you know, maybe we have to check an email or maybe we have to figure out something that needs to happen. Or maybe we don't really want to address the fact that our marriage is going downhill, so we turn on the TV because it's just easier to do that. And we don't have to think about what is really going on inside of our heart. Ultimately, we're just trying to fill that gap inside, that eternal gap that was made for Christ. Now, number three is what I want to focus pretty much the rest of our time on, and it's this. By the mercy of God alone and the drawing of His Holy Spirit, we fall into our destiny. We fall into our destiny. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to pick it up in Ephesians 1, and I'm just going to read uh, verses 3 through 6. And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has, which he has blessed us in the beloved. The foundation of this text is one single point. Before the world ever existed, before mountains, before oceans, before birds, before anything was created, God said, I love you. So before anything ever happened, even when the world was just darkness, and God began to speak things into life, he says, I loved you. In that moment, before anything happened, that God loved us. If that's true, then that means that God's love for us is eternal. That God's love for us is eternal. That means that no one is in this room by mistake. God has never looked down and said, McCann, what are you doing down here? You weren't due till like 98. Why'd you come out in 86? There are no mistakes. Not only does it mean there are no mistakes, but this separates God's love from every single love on the planet. Now, let me be honest. I have no doubt that your mother loves you, Okay? For, for some of us, your mother probably thinks that you are the most adorable thing on the planet. And you could be the most spoiled, rotten brat, but your mother loves you. She stays up at night for you. She, she, she frantically worries about you. You do stupid things. She still loves you. And we know, and we can talk about it. We can talk about a mother's love, how it's just so... Um, deep and affectionate, or how much a dad truly loves his son or his daughter. And those things are great, and those things are powerful. 
but it does not compare to the fact that God has eternally loved you. Because when your mother was five years old, she didn't love you because you weren't even here yet. When your dad was eight years old, I guarantee you he wasn't thinking of you. God's love separates all love because it's eternal. It says before the foundations of the earth, he loved you. So this leads me to this point. It's not based on your past. If God has eternally loved me, then his love for me cannot be based on my past because he loved me before I had one. God loved me before I had a past. Do, do you understand like how rock-solid anchoring that is to know in this text that no matter what you've done, no matter the past mistakes that you've made, that God loves you? You know, we like to use, I mean, people use the, the word love so loosely. I love ice cream. I, I love cake. I love this house. But see, God's love is so much different than that because it's eternal. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling based off of just some kind of idea that you had in your head when you saw something. You said, yeah, I really like that, so therefore I love it. It says, before the foundations of the earth, he loved us. So before we had a past, he loved us. His love is not based on our efforts or trying to be a good little church boy because he loved me before. His love for me is based on the death of his son. Not on what I do or not on what I try to do or not how good I try to be. So that means that God is literally in heaven and he has an anticipation in his heart for you and I. Because he's loved us forever. It's eternal. There has to be this great anticipation that is welling up inside of his heart for you and for me. I like to think of it as like this, you know, that maybe the angels and, and Jesus, they maybe joke around sometimes. And maybe, and, and maybe the angels say something like, God, you know, remember what you did with Billy Graham? You, you remember how great that was? Remember how many people he reached? It was just incredible. I bet you can't top that one. And God's like, you have no idea. Because the thing that I love about God is he, he can always make a reply. He can say, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to take the most least likely candidate. Let me, let me just pick for instance. Let me take a girl that's never had a father that's been abused and that's constantly been told she's worth nothing. And I'm not going to base it on her past. I'm not going to base it on the things that she's gone through or the things that she's had to suffer through. I'm going to base it on the death of my son. I'm going to base it on I've eternally loved her and not because of the mistakes that she's made or the things that she's been subjected to. And I'm going to take her and I'm going to blow Billy Graham out of the water. There's a great anticipation in God's heart for you and I. A great love that is eternal. Let me put it this way. How many of you guys have kids? Small kids. One of the most exciting things that every parent goes through is when their first child takes the first step. It's so, it's so exciting until you realize 
that they can pull themselves up and now they can escape your watch. Nothing is safe in your house. But if you notice something about children, and I'm not trying to talk bad about them or anything, but if you notice something, the way that God has formed them is they have these tiny little bodies with this ginormous head. Okay? So what happens when they first try to walk? They take a step, and because their head is so massive, it, gravity, you know, it's like going, their head is like pulling them to the ground. And so they, in that moment, they have a choice. With my ginormous skull, I can hit the ground. Or I can try this whole walking thing out and place my other foot, okay? So in, in, in my experience, I've seen it. It usually happens like this. It's step, head going. They're about to go down. And one more step. And maybe another one. And then what happens? They hit the ground. Now, in that moment, every grandmother, every parent is in that phone, in that room with an iPhone like, did you see that? They walked. What? There's this huge excitement. You weren't concerned with the fact that that baby hit the floor. You were like, this is amazing. My son is walking. Now, I've never seen a father do this. Attempt to walk, hit the ground, the baby hits the ground, and the father leans over at him and says, what are you doing? Get up. Walk. Finish it. You've never seen a father do that. Why? Because that would be, be an evil father. Sad thing is that is how a lot of us view God. Is listen, because growth is gradual, okay? It's not like this. And so some of us, honestly, in our relationship with God, we're taking steps and they really matter. And we're just we're so convinced that every time we fall into sin or into temptation, that God is just waiting up in heaven to pounce on us. We're so convinced. That every time we fall or that we make a mistake, that he's up there to just hammer us. So we run from him. And we come to church and we pick up lingo. We sit in the pews and we have the right language. Somebody asks you, how are you doing? What's the common response? I'm doing great. When inside you know that you're not. You're lonely, you're hurt, you're depressed, you're confused. Then you continue to wear the shell. Because you think that when you fall and when you make yourself vulnerable, that God's ready to pounce on you. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you experience Him. You experience him. And when you let go of the coffee table and step, step, and you fall, he goes, did you see that? Did you see that? He made some progress. Finally. He made some progress. Because most of us have this mindset that, and I don't know if you've ever done this, you're trying to maybe break a habit in your life or something. And you feel, man, two, three weeks, I've been rock solid, just good. And you fall into some kind of temptation. And you feel like, dang, 
those three weeks, Alpha and Dog, I start all over again. It doesn't work like that. I like to just pick fun at it a little bit. When, let's say, you're making some progress, and maybe you fall. Maybe you have a mishap. Maybe you get mad and you yell at your kid. It happens. Moms, you know what I'm talking about. Or husbands, maybe you get angry and, and, and you, you throw out words that you can't really take back. But you're truly growing and you're moving forward. And so I think it looks something like this. That maybe angels will say, God, you know, listen, that didn't really look like walking. It kind of looked like falling. Yeah, he may be making some progress, but did you see the fact that he fell? Which I always kind of like to pick fun at, where God can always reply, well, did you create walking? No, I did. He created it. Zephaniah says, his delight is in me. He dances and sings over me. So this is what this means. I wrote this down. So with blood on my knees, he picks me up, cleans off my legs, sets me back down, and goes, you can do it. Not only does he delight in us, he forgives us. Not only does he delight in us, he forgives us. Ephesians 7, chapter 1, verse 7. In him... We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So not only does he delight in us, not only does he have an eternal love for us, not only does he have this great anticipation in his heart for us, but he forgives us. The forgiveness of sins is a blessing. So what is the forgiveness of sin? If sin is to be forgiven, then this means that the penalty of punishment has been canceled. Colossians 2.14 says, Canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It would not be possible for God to forgive you and then punish you at the same time. This would not be forgiveness. This would be a false forgiveness that would not come from God. In fact, it would not be forgiveness at all. Here's something that I love about this verse. We can be certain that the everlasting punishment of sin declared in Scripture will never happen to the man that is forgiven. A man that walks in forgiveness is a man that truly knows Jesus. And you have to understand this because Ephesians so delicately touches on this topic. There is nothing, no past mistake that you have made, you have made 
that makes God love you any less. And there's nothing that you can do to be better to make God love you more. When you are totally forgiving, you can stand before Christ, cleared of the punishment that otherwise you should have endured. Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'll just be honest with you. Speaking from my own experience, and maybe it's different for some of you. When I'm convicted with my sin, the punishment of hell is not the first thing that I think about. It's not. I'm not like, oh, I sin. Oh, I'm so scared of hell now. That's not the first thing that comes to my mind. The first thing that comes to my mind is when I'm convicted of my sin, I wrestle with the thought that God is angry at me. And that he has every right to be angry at me. See, because when I fall, my, my tendency is to say, well, I've fallen so far and I've done so much and I don't deserve God. I've done so much to step outside like a uh, uh, there has to be a point when you step outside of the grace of God. There has to be a point when God says, you've just gone too far, I don't love you anymore. Like, those are things that I wrestle with. But then I read scripture like Ephesians, it says literally, okay, before I created oceans, mountains, anything, I loved you. Like, before the foundations of the earth, that I was a thought, that he loved me. I believe that the greatest joy every believer should have is that God has taken away his anger from me when I'm redeemed through his blood. Now, let me, let me point something out to you here. Because this can all sound great, and it can sound grand. And maybe in some ways you can say, well, the grace of God is just too big. It's too much. But in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes... Two words, and he uses them over and over. In chapter 1, he uses them six times. And he says, in him. In the entire book, he uses it 37 times. He says, in him. Now, there's redemption, and there's freedom, and there's forgiveness for those that are in Christ. The reason that you constantly feel condemned when you sin, and the reason that your guilt is just constantly hammering you... Is because you don't understand what it looks like to be in Christ. We took Pastor Josh Hammer on it a little bit last week. Like, what are the things that stir your affections for Jesus? What are the things that stir your affections for Jesus? If it's just going out to dinner with friends that people that genuinely love God and you can have godly conversation. And then what are the things that rob your affections from Jesus? Like every time that you, if you watch too much TV, not that it's sinful, but does that rob your affection from Jesus? Therefore, you're not really understanding what it looks like to be in Christ. You know, I've noticed the things that, that rob my affections from Christ are not necessarily sinful things. But they're usually things that are okay. Like, for instance, like Facebook or TV. Those things aren't sinful. 
but too much of it becomes idolatry, which does become sinful. And like I said earlier, we begin to drown our thoughts and our things into those things that we begin to not realize the state of our heart. And then when we sin and we fall into temptation, we don't understand that God's love is eternal. That in Christ there's redemption. Christ's forgiveness means when I have grieved and wronged him through my sin, he truly forgives without holding a grudge. Have you ever told somebody sorry and you know that it's just pointless? Because you can tell by looking into that person's eyes that they don't really mean it. Like, I forgive you. But you're going to have to prove yourself to me. I forgive you, but you're going to have to make this up. See, God's forgiveness is not like that. The offense is, though, as if it has never been committed. In Christ, let me say this, there is full forgiveness. Full forgiveness. In Christ, there is only full forgiveness. There is no such thing as partial forgiveness. There's no such thing as partial forgiveness. So when you're, let me get this right. When you are in Christ, okay? When you are in Christ, there is full forgiveness. Outside of Christ, you're confused. Outside of Jesus, you're guilty. Outside of understanding redemption and what he's done for you, you're chained, you're locked up. You may understand that you need a relationship with God and you understand that that's what you need, but it hasn't really come alive to you yet because you're not in Christ. The thought of perfect forgiveness forces out darkness and apathy. When your thoughts are concentrated on complete forgiveness, there is perfect joy and peace in understanding that your filth has been blotted out. You know, the truth is I can stand up here all day and talk about happiness. And I can give you ten ways to be happy. Be kind. When you have negative thoughts, think positive thoughts. And I can give you five steps or ten steps to be happy. But at the end of the week, I'm going to come back to you and say, how are those five steps or those ten steps working out for you? And you're going to say, not too well. Because somebody was unkind to me and I didn't feel like being kind. Somebody said something wrong and rubbed me the wrong way and I did not feel like being joyful or happy. So I can stand up here and talk about happiness, talk about peace, talk about joy. But if you miss out on Christ, you miss out on the whole thing. You don't pursue happiness and then you get Christ. In your pursuit of Christ and loving Jesus and understanding what he's done and who you, who you are in him, you get happiness. It's a byproduct of loving and serving Jesus. This is why forgiveness is such a huge blessing. 
Ephesians 1 should be an anchor to your soul, knowing that it is not on you, but on what Christ, on what Christ has already done. It's not on you. You know that, that load, that burden that you feel, that weight that weighs you down when you go to bed at night? That is not made for you to carry. I've heard it said like this. Because I'm, I'm not trying to get away from there is responsibility that we have. And there is work that we have to do. But the work is not necessarily just trying to be better. Or, you know, I'm going to just read my Bible instead of 30 hours. I'm going to read it 10 hours. Just unrealistic things. Instead of praying for 30 minutes, I want to pray for an hour. <clears throat> the work is taking those things that weigh down on you and saying, God, I, I do not know what to do. I completely surrender to you. And how many of you guys know that can be some work? Because sometimes when we see situations as humans, we want to step in and we want to say, listen, God, you're good, you're great, but I got this. You're not moving quick enough. Let me do it. You're not providing for me right now. My kids are falling apart. My marriage is falling God, I'm just going to step in. I'm going to try. Ephesians 1 is an anchor. It should be an anchor to your soul. And what do you do if you're in a huge ship and you're in a storm and you don't know what to do? You chunk that anchor out because you know somewhere along the bottom of the ocean it's going to grab onto something and keep you steady. The reason that this is an anchor is knowing that before you had a past or an opportunity to even do anything that he loved you. And that those that are in Christ, there's forgiveness and that there's redemption. The thought of perfect forgiveness forces out darkness and apathy. When you understand that God fully forgives, that there is no partiality, to me, that's security. Because how many of you guys know you can sit in service and honestly you can feel encouraged, you can feel loved. And you can feel on top of the world. Like, yes, I just I understand this, I'm gonna take this word, I'm gonna go and, and live it out. And then you slam the van door with your five kids, and that just all blows to pieces. Yep, too hard, not going to do it. Too hard. Too many things to let go of. That's just way too big of a task. There's no way. Remember, it's a step. It's a process. Growth is slow. I gave this illustration last week. My son Isaac is one. And... He's probably the thickest McCann ever. <laughs> He's a beast. He's big for a one-year-old. He headbutts Eli. <laughs> and 
At 14 years old, if Isaac was still the same size, we'd have some problems. I'm never going to look at Isaac and just watch him grow. Ever. It's gradual. It's slow. It's the same way in our walk with God. That there are things in our life that are slow. But you have to know this, that when you're in Christ, that God is growing you. That His promises don't return void. Every person that truly is redeemed and that is truly in Christ, no matter their situation, you can live in the junkiest of situations but be in perfect joy, in perfect peace. Because your joy and your hope is found in Christ, not in circumstances. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, for your grace. God, we thank you for your forgiveness. God, I pray that this morning for those who maybe are just struggling and wrestling with the thought that maybe they've strayed too far. They feel like they've just gone too far where they're unreachable. God, may they see Ephesians 1 as an anchor to their soul. May they see that there's nothing that can separate. God, that your love is eternal, that it's everlasting. And no matter how hard they search, how many things they try to fill it with, that God, you are the only one that can bring us joy. You're the only one that can bring us peace. God, we just ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would invade our hearts. God, that you would take the matters and the issue of our heart and that you would begin to bring it to the surface. Maybe things that we're blinded with, or God, maybe things that we blatantly see. God, I pray that you would give us the boldness to begin to surrender and submit them to you. God, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for what you've done. And God, may we never take that lightly. God, may we never take that lightly. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to leave you guys with one thing. You know, my entire life I grew up in a Christian home and I honestly like for the longest time I just thought it came out as a Christian I just popped out and I was saved and for many years like I just it was just that thought because I grew up saw my parents serve and loved Jesus went to church And it wasn't until I got out of the house that God really began to just wreck my heart with this one thought. Is that your relationship with Jesus Christ is not based on anyone else, but it is based on you and Jesus. So what you hear 
whether it's Pastor Josh or my dad, you cannot live off of this. Submit them to you. God, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for what you've done. And God, may we never take that lightly. God, may we never take that lightly. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to leave you guys with one thing. You know, my entire life, I grew up in a Christian home. And I honestly, like, for the longest time, I just thought it came out as a Christian. I just popped out and I was saved. And for many years, like, I just, it was just that thought. Because I grew up, saw my parents serve and love Jesus went to church and it wasn't until I got out of the house that God really began to just wreck my heart with this one thought is that your relationship with Jesus Christ is not based on anyone else but it is based on you and Jesus so what you hear whether it's Pastor Josh or my dad, you cannot live off of this. You will starve. You cannot live off of what you hear. You will not be, Ephesians 1 will not be an anchor to your soul if there is no persistence in pursuing Christ daily. It's just going to be words. It's just going to be noise, and it's just going to be something that you hear and say, yep, that's great, amen, and you walk out. You don't have to be a scholar to read this thing. As Americans, if we just acted upon the knowledge that you hear from this pulpit and the word, the little scripture that you may know, your life would be much different. Hear the word of God, be deeply convicted by it, and then there's something else. Do something. Act. Remember, at Pastor Jacob's church, we had a guy come and teach us while we were in Master's Commission. We had a sermon, and we were all excited to hear him. And he gets up, and there's all these students, you know, we're just ready to learn. And he's like, all right, listen, I've prepared tirelessly for you guys. I've been up all night seeking God. We're just like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. And he's like, two things. Do something. Alright, session is over. And he walked out. And we were all just like, what the heck? And, and that's the truth. Our job as pastors and, and, and communicators is to tell you the truth. And now your job is to make a decision with what you've got to do according to the issues in your Amen.